Good morning, Forest Park. All right, we got a little interaction. It's the second service crew, daylight savings time, the most skipped day of the year when it comes to church. But those of you who actually have smartphones now and use those, you're here. Congratulations. Welcome. And I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are watching online, whether here in Elizabeth City or around the world. Uh, Good morning or good evening, depending on where that is. Mood swings. We're continuing in our service or our series on emotions, taking control of our emotions and finding joy. But before we get into that, I want to back up and tell you our mission statement, why we do what we do here at Forest Park. We exist to help people follow Jesus one step at a time. Our, our mission is not to convert you to Christianity. Our mission is to introduce you to Jesus and help you come alongside you every step of the way in your relationship developing with Jesus. We believe that that will change your life and that will change the world. So if that's the case, why are we talking about emotions? What do emotions have to do with following Jesus? Well, they have a lot to do with following Jesus. We're going to get into that. We're going to realize that our emotions, and as we'll learn, our own brains can be one of the biggest obstacles that we face in trying to do what Jesus wants us to do. If we don't have control of our emotions, then we don't have control of our lives, we can't surrender that life to Jesus. So we're gonna get into this and we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna try to answer two questions, which is what are emotions and what purpose do they serve? And then I'm gonna give you some tools that you can use to try some practical tools, something easy that everybody can put into practice to try to regain control of your emotions. But first, I want to address the men in the room. I was born in the mid-70s, and we were taught you don't talk about your emotions. Okay, some of you might be mad that you're even here and we're talking about emotions in church. Okay, hold your wife's hand, she'll help you through it. Emotions, unless they made you look tough, it was okay to talk about anger, but you didn't talk about your fears and you didn't talk about your sadness, and you didn't talk about anything that could make you look weak. Well, because of that culture, we grew up ignoring our emotions, learning that we didn't spend any time trying to identify what our emotions are and what role they play in our life and how can we keep control of them. They're just these things that rear their ugly head and kind of take over and cause a lot of damage from time to time. So what are emotions? They are scientific categories given to a series of biological symptoms. When you go to the doctor and you say, I feel like my chest is tight and I have a pain in my arm and it kind of radiates down from my jaw, they say, well, based on the group of feelings that you're having, we think you're having a heart attack. Or I feel this way, this happens, I feel like this, my throat is sore and my eyes are itchy and this way, I think you have allergies. They look at the group of different symptoms that you have and they give it a name. That's what scientists do. To put it simply, emotions are names we give to a group of internal responses to external circumstances. Your brain perceives certain stimuli and decides for you what you best need to deal with that situation and then it creates a specific cocktail of chemicals that it releases into your bloodstream that causes certain things to happen. Your heart rate to speed up, your lungs to be able to breathe quicker, the blood go into your arms and and legs so that you can run faster, it'll dilate your pupils. There's a number of different biological things that happen inside your body based on the chemicals that your brain thinks you need. 
Okay, now here's the problem. Your brain doesn't check with you. See, there are two parts of your brain. The nervous system is made up of a part of the brain that you control. I'm choosing to reach down, pick up this cup, awkwardly take a sip and put it down. I chose to do that. I controlled that part of my brain. However, the entire time I was talking, I was still breathing and I wasn't thinking about it. My heart is still pumping. I can't tell my liver to produce more glucose. The brain controls all of that. It does it automatically. There's a part of your brain that God created that does not check in with you. Its main goal is to keep your body alive. That's it. So anytime it perceives something, it decides for you what you need. If you haven't eaten enough, if your blood sugar drops, then your brain goes, he needs food. It doesn't check the size of your love handles first. It just says, glucose is down, let's, let's hit this guy with some ghrelin and make him hungry. He releases a chemical, you decide you wanna eat, and again, it doesn't factor in what's the wisest choice at this time, it just motivates you to eat because it's just trying to keep you alive. It's a very simple system. The problem, again, is that oftentimes when we don't realize what is happening, we don't have control over it. And the front part of the brain, the frontal lobe, which we do control, oftentimes is shut down. And so what we really need to do, we're not even capable of doing because the other part of the brain has already shut it down. It's cut us out and basically said, I don't want your input, I'll decide for you what, what is best for you. And this is a very dangerous thing. Now, you might be getting a bad idea about emotions. They actually do serve a purpose. God created us to have emotions. There is a purpose and they do help. If you're at Walmart and you're walking through the cars and you take a step out and there's a speeding car coming at you, you don't have time to think and look and see what's the age of the driver. Do I think they're responsible? Do I think they'll slow down? And all you have time to do is dive out of the way. Your brain knows this and so it literally shuts down the part of your brain required for rational thought and just floods your body with chemicals to give your legs enough energy to dive out of the way as quickly as possible. It, it's there to keep you alive, okay? Anger is another emotion. It's often thought of as only negative, but as I'll show you in this video, it actually is necessary sometimes to be able to have enough strength to deal with certain circumstances. Again, your brain was formed a long time ago. It really hasn't evolved that much in the thousands of years that humans have been on this planet. So way back in caveman times, they were not worried about, is Facebook good for me? Is this good for my emotional state? They were literally concerned with survival for the majority of time. That's the main purpose of the brain. And you needed those extra strength to be able to deal with things. Okay, we'll watch how this plays out in modern day. Okay. Now, I don't know if that was necessary, but he felt trapped. His brain, he didn't think at that age, like, ah, my older brother is a jerk. And I, he was trapped. He was frustrated. His brain sent his body chemicals that sent that kid into the Hulk phase, and he had the strength to push his brother in the table clean over. Now, had he actually been stuck in something where he was dangerous, that, that would have been a good thing. It wouldn't have been a bad thing. Okay, but one day, that kid is going to grow up and he's gonna get married. Hopefully, he will get a lot of therapy between then or else he's gonna get a divorce because when his brain 
who obviously is already pretty geared to flood his body with some anger chemicals, um, he's going to respond poorly. I know this because I have this problem. See, as a child, um, I experienced quite a bit of trauma. Now, before half the people check out and the other half get offended, let me define my definition of trauma, okay? Because I didn't, I didn't have a lot of very serious things that, that some of you have, and I certainly don't want to diminish what you've been through. But my definition of trauma is anything that happens to you that is bad enough that your automatic brain records and says, I'm going to keep track of that, and I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. So when I was a kid, I grew up in a not great neighborhood, and I got beat up a lot, a lot. Okay, and I remember being at the bus stop, and for some reason that was, we used to have this thing called king of the bus stop, and the biggest kid would always pick on the other kids, and they would physically beat them up, and I was like the, the number one target most of the time. My brain recorded that. It wrote that down. It never forgets anything that happens. I experienced a lot of physical harm. I did a lot of dumb things when I was a kid and almost died. A lot of car crashes, different things. Again, it was a different time. Your parents weren't right over you all the time. You made a lot of bad decisions. You were lucky to survive. I, I did that, okay? My parents got divorced when I was 15. The, the person that I thought was the most reliable, trustworthy person on the planet decided he was going to leave and we could, we could deal with ourselves. That caused trauma. My brain remembered that and now I struggle with trusting any man with anything. It's a very difficult thing for me. My brain recorded that, and it is still trying to protect me from things. And it doesn't check with me if I would want that protection. It just does things. So I experienced a lot of trauma. My brain developed a certain type of wiring. Now, knowing what you know about what I just said, my two greatest fears in life right now are that my wife will leave me, and that my son will get hurt. Wonder why. My brain remembered that. My brain was traumatized by that. I experienced enough pain that my brain said, don't worry, I got your back. This will never happen again. If I see anything even remotely close that looks similar to what happened to you before, I will equip you with chemicals to deal with it. It is trying to keep me alive. It doesn't realize the difference between a life-threatening situation and an argument about dishes. So I get hijacked quite a bit. My brain is very quick to flood my body with chemicals that cause me to lose access to the part of the brain that's required to have a calm, rational, intelligent discussion with anyone that it perceives as a threat, not me. If it decides that based on something that my wife says, if it triggers part of that trauma and it goes, I recognize this, she's attacking you. It will literally flood my body with the same chemicals if I needed to fight her physically, when, when really that's not, that's not the case. I, I just need to be calm enough to actually hear what she's really saying so that I can, I can respond properly. So it's very important. My emotions and the lack of control that I have over them has caused a lot of damage in my relationships. And this is why we're talking about this. Relationships are the key to following Jesus. What he wants for all of us is to experience peace and love and joy in our life, primarily through our relationships. So if you don't have control of your emotions, you end up hurting the people that you love as opposed to loving them. And the most frustrating thing of all is that you don't want to. 
If you do something to me and I decide I hate you and I do mean things to you, that's not good. I'm not saying Jesus likes that, but that's different. I'm talking about raising your voice at your nine-year-old son because of, he's taking too long in the shower and you don't like the way he talked back to you and, and hurting his feelings, damaging my son, creating trauma in his life from me. I don't want to do that. And if my own brain is the culprit causing this, then I need to figure out how to get control of that. I don't like not having control of myself. So I've done a lot of studying on this. And I believe that the Bible actually talks about this. In, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we're to take captive every thought. So if you have a thought that pops up in your mind that is not of God, your job is to have the ability to take control of that and submit it and say, now is this right? Because I don't know if you've ever realized this, but your brain, in addition to creating chemicals without you, also talks without your knowledge. Like, have you ever tried to go to sleep and the voice in your head doesn't shut up? You're trying not to think, and yet it is still talking. Obnoxiously, just like, are you sure tomorrow? Do you know what the weather is? I know she said it was gonna be 72, but did you check it? Like, just shut up, I'm trying to sleep. Your brain does that, okay? Your brain is connected to every organ in your body through a network of, of wires, for lack of a better word, nerves. And it sends electrical impulses to control those. And it is constantly firing, it is never off. Which is why when the conscious brain wants to go off, the other one is still going. Now you cannot, as I said earlier, control the majority of what it does. But there are certain systems in the body that you have control over and they're part of that automatic system. And the primary one is your lungs. See, I've been breathing this whole time and I haven't thought about it, but I can decide to suddenly take a breath. I can control my own breathing. Now what's fascinating, and scientists have realized this recently, is not only is there a nerve, rather large system, going from your brain to your lungs, but there's also one going from your lungs back to your brain. And your brain receives feedback from your lungs and will make decisions based on what your lungs are doing. So if it perceived a fight or flight situation and it flooded your body with adrenaline and you're going nuts, and 10 minutes later you're still, <laughs> it, your brain will perceive He's still breathing like crazy. Something must still be wrong. Give him some more adrenaline. But if you calm your breathing and you breathe slow on purpose, your lungs will actually send a message back to your brain, we're all good. It's fine. You can't breathe like this and be scared to death. Obviously, we're okay. Brain, you can cool everything down now. Slow the heart rate to match. So you can actually trick your own brain and take back control of your emotions by purposefully breathing. Now, again, we're talking about emotions and now I'm talking about breathing. I realize this is a very hippie sounding message, okay? And, and, and the guys are, are getting antsy as it is. But uh, I'll tell you this, the Navy SEALs use this. Okay, this is not a, a whatever, wussy thing for those of us who are so insecure we can't handle this. There, there have been studies, in fact, I listened to an interview with, um, his name is Dr. Andrew Huberman, he's the professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford University, and they've done testing on controlling your breathing and what it does inside your body. And they have found that the fastest way to lower your heart rate and therefore lower the amount of fight or flight chemicals in your body is to take two quick breaths in and then exhale. So you go 
and you breathe out. And they've shown on monitors that without fail, no matter what's going on in the external, that will literally lower your heart rate and slow your breathing down. You can choose to do that and slow your heart rate down and regain sometimes enough control to get access to the sinking part of the brain. Oddly enough, what's really neat, I find fascinating, is that if you've ever noticed when a little kid is crying uncontrollably, he'll go, <gasps> that response is built into your system to help you calm down. Little kids do it because they haven't learned how to do it consciously yet, and their brain does it automatically to help slow their heart rate down so they don't explode. Okay? This is something that we can all do, so we're all going to do it right now. Okay? Those of you who struggle with this kind of stuff, you don't have to participate. It's fine. I can't see your face anyway. Okay? But for those of you who want to try this, okay, if, if your nose is full, don't. Just. Are right, you ready? One, two, three. You only have to do that like three or four times, and it will literally slow your heart rate down, sometimes enough to prevent you from doing or saying something to somebody you care about and having a regret. Another thing that you can do, and this is what the Navy SEALs do, they can be shot at, they can be shot literally. Their brain is flooding their body with all kinds of chemicals appropriately, but they need to be able to think and strategize, and they do what's called box breathing, which is an inhale for four seconds, you hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four, and then hold it while it's exhaled for four, and repeat that four times. And you do it slowly, and you try to do it quietly. And again, that will literally lower your heart rate, no matter what's going on. The issue that you have might still be right in front of your face, but you can take control, regain control of your emotions so that you can access the part of the brain that you need to actually analyze what's going on and decide what is the wisest thing for me to do. What would Jesus actually want me to do in this situation? You don't allow the part of your brain that is so primal that it's just trying to keep you alive to make your decisions for you. You take those thoughts captive. When you have a thought in your mind, like, she didn't do the dishes. She obviously doesn't love me. This is the third time this week. I told she knows. So that's the only thing that I can think of is that she doesn't love you. You can actually tell that part of your brain to shut up, breathe through it, and get back and go, okay, maybe you ought to ask her what kind of a day she's had before you go attacking this person that you're married to. It can change your life when you get control of your emotions. You will be amazed at the number of times you were saying and doing things and making decisions that you weren't even really consciously aware of. When my son was little, I had to learn how to, how to do this because he would be, I, I didn't know how much anger I, I, I dealt with until I had kids, you know? Deal, before we had kids, I'd look at that as, you, you might as well be single. I know you're married and like you have another person, but when you don't have kids, you still do whatever the heck you want. You really don't have any stress in your life. When my son arrived, I, I, I realized how much of an issue I had with anger and how quickly I would get like aggressive. I've never grabbed him or abused him or done anything, not physically, but if anyone else ever talked to my son the way that I have in the past, I would abuse them. There are things, there are times when I have gotten up off of the bed when he's asked me to do something and I've sighed. And he'll go, Dad, never mind. I don't want to do that. Now, there are other things that factor in 
to the heightened state of, of emotions, and those are some of the next things I'm gonna talk about. Um, the first and number one thing is a lack of good quality sleep. If you are tired, again, there are parts of your brain that will not operate properly. When you sleep, your brain restores the damage that was caused from the day before, it downloads your memories, it does a lot of things, and when it can't do that fully, it actually relies on a different part of your brain that is in charge of emotions. So if you've ever noticed, if you've ever had a, a really bad night's sleep or a few nights of bad sleep, anybody who's ever had young children, you might find yourself either extra irritable or sad. You might start crying for you know, something that isn't that big of a deal. It's because the emotional part of the brain is actually more in charge because it has to take up for the rest of your brain that isn't rested well yet. So getting a good night's sleep is very important. And this doesn't just mean I sleep a long time. Okay, this is an argument that my wife have all the time. Just being unconscious doesn't mean your body is actually resting. There are things that you can do. There are apps on your phone that you can download that will literally record you while you sleep. Okay, mine tells me exactly how many times I snored and records snippets of it. Okay, so whenever my wife has on, okay, fine, you go sleep in the other room. Okay, I have a, a ring that actually tracks my heart rate when I'm, I'm sleeping and can tell me this is how much you actually rested throughout the night. It is one of the most important things for your health overall, but it's extremely important in making sure you at least start the day on like even keel before the stresses already come. Okay, if you haven't learned that you have no control over the external circumstances in your life after 2020, then I don't know what to tell you. We don't have control over anything that can happen outside of us. The only thing that we can is control what happens inside of us. And mastering that and learning how to get control of our own bodies is one of the most important parts. It's a great first step in, in learning to follow Jesus because he is gonna call you to do things that go contrary to your own survival instincts. When I grew up, I, I, we didn't have a lot of money. I was the poorest of all of my best friends. They all had nicer cars, nicer houses, nicer clothes, everything. I worried about money a lot as a kid, so as an adult, I also worry a lot about money. I thought money, I wanted to have financial security. I've made enough money now to realize you can never make enough to not worry about the safety, the financial security. The entire economy could crash because somebody coughed the wrong way or something. It just, I can't control that. But I can control what happens inside of me when those things happen. And I can make decisions to give money to people who need it, to be generous with my money, as Jesus calls me to do, in spite of the fear that I have. Because I have control of my fears. I don't let it rule me. I'm saying that as a, as a I wish. But that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about getting control of your emotions. This is a huge thing that I've been studying for a long time because it can really cause a lot of issues. I have a lot of shame about the first part of my journey with Jesus because I, I didn't have enough control over myself to do the things I, I wanted to do. Anyone who's ever been addicted to anything understands the shame of wanting to do what Jesus wants you to do and not doing it, not having control of your own decision making. Now I'm not trying to negate the responsibility of our actions. I don't care if you think it was my fault, I just don't wanna do it anymore. 
I want to improve and get better moving forward. And taking control of my emotions is one of the most important things. Your diet is another thing. If you eat like crap, and believe me, this is something I know a lot about, okay? If you want to get in shape and get better, your brain doesn't care if you're in shape. It just wants you to stay alive. And so when you go, when you get home after a long, stressful day, your brain is not going, you know, a salad would be great right now. I could put radishes on it. It just says just whatever has the highest sugar, the most fat, let's just get it in here. I'll flood your body with dopamine. You'll feel better. It'll be fine. It's like a junior high friend that you had that never matured that we continue to listen to all day, every day. My best friend growing up, he was a lot of fun. But it is a darn good thing we're not best friends. He, he, he lives far. I still love him, but I don't listen to his advice. And yet, a lot of times, I still listen to the primal part of my brain that does not want to do what's wisest for me. When you get control of your emotions and you are able to think through what you want to do, you will have the strength to be able to deal with whatever happens in your life. No matter what pandemic happens, no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens, there will be a part of you that is in control enough to look and say, I am connected to the creator of the universe. It's gonna be all right. I'm not saying I won't suffer. I'm not saying my family won't suffer. But knowing Jesus as I do and focusing on that, it'll help me get through anything. And I'll be able to respond in those times the way that I would want to, as opposed to just responding emotionally, causing more damage and more issues. Now Zoe's gonna come and she's gonna end us and, and lead us in a song. And the person who wrote this song is kind of a, a hero of mine. He's a, a goal, if you will. His name is Horatio Spafford, and he lived in the late 1800s in Chicago, and he was a businessman and a lawyer. And he and his wife lost their son, very young, to pneumonia. And he had four other daughters. And two years after he lost his son, his wife and his four daughters were on an ocean liner going from the United States to Europe. And about four days into that trip, they collided with another boat and the boat sank, and his four daughters died. His wife was rescued by somebody on a rowboat, got to shore, and when she was able to telegram her husband, she wrote simply, survived alone, I don't know what to do. He, of course, boarded a boat as quickly as he could and sailed after her. And when he got over the part of the water where his babies had drowned. The captain took him out on the boat and he said, this is where it happened. And he wrote, it is well with my soul. To be connected to a God that is so powerful, whose peace is so strong that you can face that and be okay, that's that's the goal. So if you will, listen, listen to this. Let's stand together. Check. You guys hear me? 
stand and worship this song together. Well, well. 
true is that, everybody? Let's lift up a shout of praise, everybody. Well, we thank you so much for coming here.